0: to him who much has been given, much is expected, and to use that to call other people to open up their eyes to see the blessings that we have.
1: I didn't come from a perfect home, but a message to parents everywhere in this book is, hey, step up and believe in your kids.
2: Welcome to First Person, a weekly program where we sit down with guests, and today we have two of them join us. Something a little different today, both Max Lucado and Kevin Lehman will be with us. First, Max Lucado's newest book, adding to the 55 million already in print, is titled Outlive Your Life, and Max himself is an example of that, and we'll learn why. Then later, I'll talk with Dr. Kevin Lehman about his promise that you can have a new you by Friday. If you know Kevin, you know how whimsical, but how insightful he can be. So both men will join us today, one at a time. But before we start, I hope you'll take the time to visit us online at FirstPersonInterview.com. All of these interviews are archived to listen to anytime, or you can subscribe to the podcast and receive it automatically each week through iTunes. Interviewing authors is something I've done for years, and two of my favorites join us today. Let's start with Max Lucado, who still ministers in the local church, Oak Hills in Texas.
0: I was senior pastor for uh, about two decades. As the writing opportunities and responsibilities increased, I felt like I was neglecting some of the jobs that a senior pastor should do. But I didn't want to resign. I didn't want to leave the church. And so we came up with, a, with a, uh, kind of a, a good solution. Uh, we brought in a fellow to be the senior pastor, and I stayed on as a teaching pastor. So that enables me to teach about uh, 50% of the time. And uh, it's worked out. It's been a great relationship so far. Now,
2: what's the connection between writing and preaching? Obviously, there is one, but I'd like to hear you talk about that. I don't think I've ever talked to you about that before.
0: Well, it's a very important connection in my case because all of my books begin as sermons. Uh, When I determine what seems to be the right series of messages for the church, if those are well-received in the church, then I'll turn those into books. Now, that doesn't mean that my books are just transcribed sermons, because after I've preached the sermon, I uh, I think there's a big difference between a sermon and a chapter. And uh, a chapter is harder to write than a sermon is, because you're only speaking to the eye. You're not speaking to the ear and the mm-hmm. eye. And so uh, I'll go back and we will rework that chapter, or I will, many, many times trying to turn it into something that... Uh, that is good for the, for the reader. Uh, and, and so all of the books, however, have their beginning as messages that I present to the church. So in my in my situation, the preaching and the writing are interrelated.
2: Max, as I read through this book, the thought that came to my mind, is not a new thought, but how is it that we can look at the same passage of Scripture over a lifetime, and when we read it today, it means something entirely different to us in a much more meaningful way today because of what I'm experiencing?
0: I I think I think that the answer to that is What Scripture says, that the Bible is a living word. Uh, It's not just words on a paper, but the Holy Spirit enables us to engage and interact with Scripture in such a way that it, uh, just as a person might say something to you today, and then they say it to you five years from now, and you hear it differently. So Scripture does that. That's why we uh, enjoy coming back to the same stories over and over, and we find something fresh every time we do uh, come back to those stories, because it is the living Word of God.
2: Ever thought what you might be doing if you weren't preaching and writing?
0: Mm, That's a good question. Uh, I probably have gone into, I don't know, I... I didn't have a lot of direction, uh, and I became a Christian and decided to go into ministry all at the same time. Uh, So I didn't have a real clear sense of direction as to what I was going to do with my life. At the age of 20, when I made a commitment to Christ, by the age of 21, I knew I wanted to be a missionary. So it came pretty soon thereafter. I used to tell people I was going to be a lawyer, but I just had to have something to tell people because they would ask, what are you going to be when you grow up? I don't have a, a, a real sense that that would have happened. Uh, But uh, who knows? I I know I would never have become a professional baseball player because I always (laughs) struck out in the the, the
2: game. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to imagine Max Lucado as a lawyer, too. I mean, you have that heart of (laughs) compassion, you know. (laughs) Uh, And you spent some time as a missionary, didn't you?
0: I did. I did. I went went to uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, I was there from 1983 to 1988. So that's really how my ministry began. And uh, I started writing when I was in Brazil because we were studying Portuguese during the day. And in the evenings, I wanted to do something in English. And this is days predating the internet. And uh, it's very difficult to get movies in English in Brazil. So I would just uh, do a lot of reading. And then I would uh, write. I was starting to do some writing, some creative writing. And uh, I took all of a, a bunch of articles that I had written for magazines and I put them together in a manuscript and I sent them to publishers until finally one of them said yes. And that's how the, that's how the writing began.
2: Ever been back to Brazil?
0: I have. I've been back twice since we left 20 years ago. I was just back in the summer of 2009 uh, for an extended visit, at least for me, an extended visit, 14 days, and uh, spoke like 29 times in 14 days. It was just a whirlwind of a trip. Uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of churches. I still speak Portuguese, and so that's a great advantage. I don't speak it super well. I get really rusty, but uh, I'll have a, I, 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 being able to speak uh, uh, was a great tool when we, we went down there last summer.
2: Let me take you back to traveling to other parts of the world and being confronted with the needs in those places. What goes through your heart and mind when you encounter those kinds of things, and and how do you come home? What do you do with it once you're home again?
0: Yeah. You know, you do, you go to places in the United States and, and you see poverty, or even in developed countries and you see poverty, you see pockets of poverty, and they could be very large pockets of poverty, but eventually those pockets of poverty will be interrupted uh, by a pocket of uh, affluence. The difference in a third-world country uh, like Ethiopia or Nigeria uh, or Haiti is that, is that it just seems like those pockets of poverty are never interrupted. Uh, you never come across a nicer neighborhood, uh, and it, it just seems unending, and in some cases it really is. What I learned uh, living in Brazil and then also traveling to different places is that uh, is is that this whole idea that if we just worked harder, if somebody worked harder, they wouldn't be poor, does not always hold up. That does hold up sometimes. You know, some people are poor just because they're lazy, and those people just need to get to work. They do. And and I think Scripture is real clear about if somebody doesn't work, don't let them eat. Uh, But then there are those who are willing to work, who've done their best, who've poured their life into certain projects, but they just happen to live in a place, in a part of the world where there's no paved roads, there's no education, there's no clean water. Uh, It's not like they were born on third base. They weren't even born on a team. Uh, And these are the kind of people that, that I think we need to be aware of. And these are the kind of people that organizations like World Vision exist uh, to find uh, and to help. Uh, to find these people who, who live in a place where there's no clean water, no access to education. You know, I, I was born in a place, I was born to a very modest family, but if but if my dad had lost his job, uh, there was a government program to help him uh, subsidize him until he could get back on his feet. He never did lose his job. But if you live in Ethiopia or you live in Nigeria or you live in parts of Central America and your ox dies or there's a famine that comes through or AIDS devastates the region, I mean, there's simply no margin. There's no safety net to catch you. and uh, And that's what the, uh, the, the passion that I have is about these days is trying to find those people and just give them some support, help them get on their feet so that they can truly have a shot at uh, leading and living a productive life.
2: Have your wife and family been able to travel with you, Max?
0: Yeah, we have. Uh, We've taken our family to uh, Central and South America several times. And then my wife and one of my daughters and my son-in-law traveled with me just a year ago to Ethiopia with World Vision.
2: When you come back to this country, do you go through a sort of a re-entry? It's kind of emotional, isn't it?
0: Well, it is, you know, and there's the the, uh, adjustment to uh, sometimes a form of guilt, you know, that we have so much. You have to be careful and not become cynical. To me, I I have to just simply learn to be grateful for the country in which we live and be reminded that to him who much has been given, much is expected. And to use that as a call to to call other people to uh, to open up their eyes to see the blessings that we have.
2: Speaking of your family, you have more than one writer in the family now.
0: Well, we do. My daughter Jenna has written her first book and is working on her second. Her first book was called Redefining Beautiful, and it's a book for teenage girls, and uh, she loved me to help her with that. And then also she's uh, worked. she and I have worked together on a project in the uh, Outlive Your Life uh, initiative, Uh the made-to-make-a-difference uh, made book that she's worked on, and now she's working on a project all by herself. Uh, she's a very good writer in her own, uh, her own right. I think she's got a great future ahead of her.
2: Of course, Dad would say that, but I, I believe you. I, <laughs> I really do, and I've seen some of her work, and I agree with you on that. Uh, if I were to talk to—your uh, wife is uh, Lynn, right? Yes, sir. If I were to talk to her and say, what does Max really do to unwind, just to have fun, what, what would her answer be?
0: I really enjoy going out and having a nice dinner with her or with a couple of friends, uh, sitting around the house and talking. I enjoy a good movie. And my hobby is golf. I'm not very good. uh, You know, you'd watch me play golf and think (laughs) he's never played in his life. But but I really enjoy it. I'm trying to do better about taking a day off a week. I, I was in a habit for many years of not doing that very well. Uh, But now I I am, I really get to where I look forward to that day. And on those days, I'll deal in and I'll go out and have breakfast. And and then I'll usually play golf that day. And maybe we'll go to a movie that evening and to really try to unwind. For me, it's important to do that, like on a Friday before a busy weekend, because we have Saturday and Sunday services at church. And so Friday is usually uh, that day that I unwind.
2: So nothing crazy like cliff diving or...
0: (laughs) No, not now. Not now. <laughs>
2: maybe maybe later, huh?
0: Maybe so. Maybe when I get older. <laughs>
2: All right. Uh, before I let you go, as we talk, you're planning to go on tour with Third Day and Toby Mac and Michael W. Smith. Now, what's the deal, Max? Is that what keeps you so young?
0: <laughs> Those are great guys, and they were so gracious to accept this invitation to go out on tour. And the idea is to... Uh, is to not only bring an evening of worship and inspiration to 20 different cities around the country, uh, but to look for these 25,000 sponsors of children and they'll be helping me invite people to, to give that some serious thought. Uh, I think it's going to be a great tour. Uh, the, my promise is that I will not sing into a microphone, <laughs> and I'll let those guys do all the musical part, and I'll just try to bring a good word here. And I now.
2: just want to see you dress like Toby Mac. That's what I want to say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if only I had the hat.
2: <laughs> now you've got a website, maxlucato.com, with much more information about everything we've talked about. Do you tweet as well, Max?
0: I do. I do. Max Locato, just everybody follow me. We'll have fun. I'll try to keep everybody updated. with some inspirational thoughts during the day and, and uh, let them know where I'm headed each, uh, on each of my trips.
2: How about that? Sounds like you're enjoying life, enjoying preaching and writing still after all these years.
0: It's all good. It really is a lot of fun. And uh, it's going fast, though. <laughs> you know, every so often I look up and think, well, this could be the day the Lord returns, Amen. and uh, that'd be okay with me.
2: My thanks to Max Lucado. Coming up on First Person, a conversation with Kevin Lehman. When you join us next week, Alice Teeson tells about serving God in ministry in spite of her disability.
0: God provided in a six-month period a close to $11,000, more than what I would have made my disability insurance. It kind of showed me yet again that my God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills.
2: Alice founded His Wheels International. It's an amazing story, and you'll hear it when you join us next time for First Person. For the second half of today's program, joining me now is Dr. Kevin Lehman, whose new book is Have a New You by Friday. And Kevin, you and I have known each other a long time. (laughs)
1: I should tell people that you and I go back a number of years. Uh, we're old friends. Uh, <laughs> not that we're old, but we've known each other a long time.
2: Who are you calling old?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that the truth? We are getting older. I've got five kids and two grandchildren, and I know you got kids, and yep. we're going to be chasing those grandkids uh, from one end of the earth to the other. I actually.
2: have a feeling that's true. Yeah. yeah. Now, Kevin, you, you've admitted openly that you barely got out of high school. And now you've got all these successful books. You're giving a lot of hope to some underachievers all over the world. You know that, right?
1: Well, I hope so. You know, I was a kid that was written off in life. Uh, My high school counselor, who's still living, by the way, uh, said to me when I asked him uh, if he could help me go on to college, on to university, he pulled his glasses down on his nose. He looked over the top of his glasses and he said, Lehman. With your grades and your record in this school, meaning disciplinary record, I couldn't get you admitted to reform school. (laughs) He pushed his glasses back, went back to his busy work. And yet, you know, Charlie Massino, my uh, counselor, had every right to say what he said. Uh, I had SATs that were at the zero percentile. Now, if you don't understand mathematics, folks, let me tell you, that means 100% of the people who took that exam, did better than I did. Yeah,
2: zero is zero, sure.
1: Zero is zero. They give you 200 points for showing up. <laughs> and so uh, I was written off. I had a sister who was perfect and still is. Uh, she would still put newspaper under the cuckoo clock if you gave her the opportunity. <laughs> I had a brother who is now a retired clinical psychologist and uh, quarterback on the football team, very well liked, voted best looking in his class and all those silly things we used to do yet and yesteryear. Then there was me. Hmm. So I I believed a lie, Wayne, that uh, I was the non-achiever, and I think I compensated that uh, for that by being the class clown. Mm-hmm. Teachers disliked me immensely. I drove one of them right out of the classroom. She never came back. Uh, but the kids loved
2: me. Hmm. And in this book, you tell the story of that one teacher who looked you straight in the eye one day and said, you can be better.
1: Yeah. She was the first one, Wayne, that ever mentioned that I had skills. Now, first teacher that ever said I had skills. Now, keep in mind that my mother, God rest her soul, who lived to be 95 years old, lived to see her youngest son um, achieve a degree of success in life. Uh, But she believed in me, and so did my dad. I didn't come from a perfect home. But a message to parents everywhere in this book is, hey, step up and believe in your kids. It doesn't mean you uh, snowplow the roads of life for them or make excuses for them or anything else, but you still have to exude that basic belief in your child.
2: So when you talk about the possibility of change in a person's life, you know what you're talking about.
1: No, oh, I've lived it. I mean, I've absolutely lived it. And you can read all the shrinky books you want, folks. <laughs> and you can listen to every... Uh, DVD, uh, watch every video. uh, And uh, unless you have that basic will to change, ask yourself that question, what does old self do in this situation? What does new self do in this situation? Nothing's going to change. I say in this book that this book ought to cost $199. You go to a shrink these days, Wayne. And you're going to pay about 175 bucks for your little half-hour appointment. Mm-hmm. And they're going to sign you up for several appointments because obviously you have deep-seated emotional problems, lady. <laughs> uh, don't go there, folks. I spent a lifetime telling people uh, when they came in my office, hey, my goal is to get rid of you. My goal is to get you out the door and live life with uh, a little reckless abandon, a little attitude that says, you know, God created me, and with his help, I can do it. Here's what what people need to understand, that, you know, you get these kids, and they come into earth, on this earth, without a stitch of clothes on. They're totally dependent upon you, and you mold them. You mold them. And, you know, you teach them at the knee when they're young, and they grow up, and, uh, you know, you go through the rolling eyes, and maybe some of them got a little spunk and talk back to you from time to time, and they need some discipline, or well, discipline equals love. But the reality is that they grow up, and what we want them to do is to fly away and do life as it should be lived. Mm-hmm. And what we're, what we're happy about is these five kids that we have love each other, and they love us. It doesn't get better than that, and they're all kids of faith. So we're just extremely pleased, but... Uh anybody who knows me knows that uh uh I do things personal. I have my own Facebook. People like me have people who do their Facebook for them and uh I I do my own.
2: No uh, ghostwriting for you, huh?
1: No, no, I I I, I bang it out all myself. I, I would admit I've got uh, uh three editors. Uh, and I've I've learned to use those editor- editors are great.
2: They're a gift from God,
1: right? Oh, so they do. They know what a dangling participle is. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that once to a woman. She slapped my face. <laughs> so there I go, entertaining again. See, it goes back to. Yep. And this is what I want people to see: is that indelible imprint that Mom and Dad put on you, in yet in your home, in your birth order. Uh, your private logic. Each of us have a private logic. Mm-hmm. I only count life when I win. I only count life when I dominate. I only count life when I control. Now, when I say that to you, Wayne Shepherd, I'll bet I'll bet personalities that you've worked with over the years pop into mind.
2: Oh boy, how much time you got?
1: Yeah, the controller, the dominator. I mean, I won't name names, but you know who I'm thinking.
2: About. I'm tempted <laughs> to name names, but but, but I'll hold yeah. back.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and so. This this life theme that we have turns out to be a lie. See, I believe the life theme, or the my private logic was, I only count in life when I get attention. Hmm. Well, you know, if people looked at my feet on Tuesday of this week, I was interviewed in New York by George Stephanopoulos.
2: Good morning, America.
1: Good morning, America. And, of course... They look down, and they see the striped wild socks. I always wear wild socks, always.
2: you got to have that attention, right?
1: You know, even though I've grown up and I've sort of gotten by all that, and my life changed, thank the Lord, through coming to terms with his son, um, those strains still remain. My litmus test, when I go to New York and I do a show like The View, or Fox and Friends, or any of them, is do I get the jaded cameraman or woman to laugh? That's the test, yeah. And if I can hear the staff, you know, the crew laughing in the background, then I know that I've connected with people because they've heard everybody. I mean, I'm just a chubby psychologist from Tucson, Arizona. Why would they care about me? (laughs) But um, so this, this, this whole idea of unmasking the lie that you live. If you're stuck people today, if you're not in the job that you think you ought to be in and life isn't working out for you and your relationships just tend to fail and you're frustrated, this is a book where you can be your own shrink, figure yourself out and you can do some social experimentation without a great deal of risk. I would add (laughs) what I'm saying is, Hey, uh, if you see some things, you hear some things I should say, that you don't like, across them out, modify them, but use this to change your life. I tell people, and they read Lehman books, I said you might find a page of stuff you just don't agree with at all. Rip the page out, crumple it up, you won't hurt my feelings, (laughs) but use the book to help you get to where you want to get. Most people are held back by their own self-destructive behavior.
2: That's Dr. Kevin Lehman. And by the way, my thanks to OasisAudio.com for their cooperation today. Earlier, we talked with Max Lucado. And if you'd like to listen to both of these interviews again or recommend them to someone who may not be tuned in right now, check out our website, FirstPersonInterview.com. Not only is the audio archive there of past programs, but the schedule of upcoming interviews is also posted. So visit us online at FirstPersonInterview.com. And by the way, at that website, you can find links to us on Facebook and Twitter. First Person comes to you each week at this time, and sometimes, as happened today, you may recognize the guest, but sometimes maybe not. Next week, we have one of those unsung heroes of the gospel who's quietly following God's leading and making a huge difference in some people's lives. Alice Thiessen will join us to talk about His Wheels International next week here on First Person. I hope you'll be listening. And now, with thanks to my unsung hero and friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person.